Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Staying warm? Staying out of the cold, the rain? I really thought it was going to be worse than it was, and it wasn't, but that's good. Hopefully everyone's having a good, good week and a good, blessed Sunday. It feels good to be back here after being gone last week. Helen and I took a group of, of teens, middle school and high schoolers up to um, Pinebrook to Snow Glow. We had a pretty good time, I would say. We had some pretty good, um, some pretty good time in worship, some good lessons, some good teachings. Um, our youth group won second place in the dodgeball tournament. I think, if I'm correct, they said it's the first time they ever won a game, so that's good. And then um, we got in trouble. We had the director of the camp called us. He wasn't so happy about that. He was more so mad that it was 1 o'clock in the morning when he got woken up. Then there was, like, chocolate on the door. But I think we had a good time. We were excited. It was, it was great. Um, it was tiring for some nights, but it was great. We had a great time. Um, saw God move, and it was over 150 students there, which was great. And I know they had another one this week, and they got another one next week. So we can just keep praying for the BFC and Snow Glow and for all the students and all the churches who are, who are going to be participating next week, and that God continues to move and and just bring people to himself and bring restoration and, and healing where it's needed. Um, but this week, we, we're, we're, we're in James. I'm happy to be back with my church family. feels great to just be worshiping with you guys again. But yes, um, to some extent, we're all impacted by people. We get around certain people, and we either stop acting the way, or we, there's something that changes about us, um, we have that one boss that, that that comes around and and maybe he says a joke that's not funny, but we're gonna laugh anyways because he's he's the boss. Um, we have um, you know, we get around certain people and we say we like things that we usually don't like or or or, or things like that. And, and what happens is sometimes when we get around certain people that come around us, we we, we tend to to lose who we are or or we change around certain people. And we don't know, and we don't really have an explanation for this. It just kind of happens, happens naturally. And what we see is when we get into into this um, chapter in James and James 2, this is what's happening in, in the gathering of, of believers, that once certain people come into that gathering, they start to um, mistreat their own brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's all because of someone coming in who maybe has a higher status or has um, things that they might feel like they have to offer. And so what we see is that sometimes we change when certain people come around or, or we make, as, as it says in James, we make some types of judgments or, or we start to favor one people towards the other. So that's what we're going to be um, talking about this week. So if you guys can, can join me in James, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to be reading the first 13 verses. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich 
the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor, transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we humble ourselves before your throne, before your grace, and before your majesty, Lord. We come before you as, as mere human beings seeking your grace, seeking your mercy over our lives, Lord. Realize that we realize that we have nothing to honor you, nothing to give to you, Father God, but that everything we have has been given to us by you, Lord. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that, that you are a God who shows no partiality. You are a God who doesn't look at the outside, but, but looks at, at the inside at what really matters, Father God. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy over our lives, Father God. We ask that as we spend the next several moments in your word, Father God, that you use it to convict us of where we need to be convicted, Lord. That if there's any areas in our life that we need to be chiseling away to look more, to imitate your son more, Lord, that, that we, are, we do that, Lord. That you impact us, you, you show us where we need more of you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done, Father God. We ask and we pray that there's um, no distractions here today, Lord, that we're able to take the next several moments and just focus on you, Lord, and on your word and what you have us to receive, Father God. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to this congregation. In your name we pray. Amen. So if I had, if I had one main idea for, 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 for these 13 verses, it's this idea that, that we honor God by viewing people the way that God sees them. That the way that we show God honor and the way that we serve God is that we don't go about showing partiality or any type of favoritism, but that we love people the way God loves them, that we see people the way God sees them. So that's the main idea of these 13 verses. And I got four points for you guys, and then I'm out of your way. The first point being, Christians do not show partiality. They do not show any type of favoritism or, or, or they do not discriminate against other people, period. And when we see this in verse 1, in verse 1, James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That as you claiming to be a Christian, as you're claiming to be a follower of Christ, then you should not at the same time hold any type of favoritism, any type of partiality towards anyone. That they don't mix together. That you can't say, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then show some type of favoritism or some type of discrimination towards someone else because of the way that they look, or because they may not have as much money as you think they need or because of their age, or because of the color of their skin, that we, as Christians, do not show any partiality towards anyone. You see, the NASB translates this verse, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our Lord, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. That The two do not combine, they do not mix. 
that if you call yourself a Christian, then you should not show any type of favoritism to another person. And this, like I said, this works out. doesn't matter what someone looks on the outside. It doesn't matter how old someone may be. That we don't hold those things against them because, truth be told, God does not hold those things against anyone. God doesn't look at someone because of their age and says, you know what, I, I can't really bring you to myself right now. God doesn't look at someone and says, because of the color of your skin, I can't hold you accountable. I don't bring you to myself. And we oftentimes, we do that. We look at people, we look at their status and their culture, or we may covet their possessions. And we may treat them differently than someone who doesn't have something that we want or think that we need. And this is what's going on at this time. We see that the gospel does not discriminate Neither should we. And we see that, that, that this is coming out of, as, as James in, in verse 4 says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The NIV or, or, or the Holmes Christian Standard Bible translate distinctions as discriminate. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so we see that, that oftentimes the distinctions or the judgments that we make oftentimes are contrary to the way that God judges, the way that God saves people. And so when we make these distinctions, when we make these type of judgments over people, we're doing it with our own selfish, evil desires. We're not coming before God. We're not taking this to God. We're not seeking God. We just look at someone, we see a situation, and we just make a distinction out of our own sinful, selfish desires. And James is saying this is not how it's done. We don't look at someone who comes in to the assembly and say, because of the way you're dressed, because I like your watch, you come sit at the front. And the person who who you necessarily don't like the way they're dressed, they can sit at the back. Or you can sit at my feet. Don't even take up a chair. And this is what what was going on at this time. And we see that that in Romans 2.11 it says, God shows no partiality. That when it comes to saving people, God doesn't judge a base based on outer appearances, based on things that don't matter. God is a God who doesn't show partiality when it comes to saving people, and neither should we. Further on, the second point, we see that um, those who are in Christ comes first. Our brothers and sisters in Christ comes first. We, we see as we go on in, in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. So they're taking those, they're taking believers, followers of Christ, and they're dishonoring them. They're they're mistreating them because someone comes in and they look a little bit prettier. They're dressed up a little bit better. They have the name branding. They got the nice watch or whatever it may be. And so they dishonor or they mistreat or or they sin against their own brothers and sisters in Christ. And what what I mean when I say that that our brothers and sisters in Christ come first, don't hear me say that that we're not to worry about the world, that we're not to go out and, and we don't preach the gospel to those who haven't heard it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to first and foremost worry about our brothers and sisters. Make sure that the needs of the church, the needs of the members that we serve with, the members that we worship our God with are being met and that we don't dishonor them, that we don't mistreat them by ignoring their needs, by ignoring their, their, their situations. They've 
They've despised, as the King James says in, in verse 6, but you have despised the poor man. And at the end, they're doing this for, for people who aren't even believers, who aren't Christians. He says, he goes on in verse 6, are not the rich ones who aren't are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones you drag who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? This idea that the people that they're lifting over their own brothers and sisters are not even followers of Christ. They're people who oppress them. People who take them to court and who blaspheme the, the name of God. And yet when they join in their assembly, they give them a greater greater respect, in a sense, than their own followers, their, their own brothers and sisters. And so I believe, if I can just, a little tangent here, we hold our brothers and sisters in Christ to a higher regard and to a higher standard than anyone from the world. And I, I mean this in twofold. The first one, in terms of helping and serving, that we must, Christians, the followers of God, must first and foremost Take care of their own. Alex shared a little bit last week about we have to take care of our family, then we have to take care of our church, and then we can go out from these walls and take care of those who are in need. But we first and foremost must be serving and helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't ignore them for the people outside the walls. I've... I've been a follower of Christ for now, going on 15 years, and I've been in a handful of churches at that time. And I've seen, I've been in churches that all they worry about is serving those outside their walls. You have 30 people who show up on a Sunday to go feed the homeless. You got people out on the streets handing out free water, free soda on a hot day. You got people walking around neighborhoods, feeding, giving meals to the poor. But yet there's people in their own congregation who can't feed their families. There's people in their own congregation who who are sleeping with other people who are getting divorces. Pastors sleeping with members of of their church. And they're not taking care of their church. If we're not serving those who are inside the church, how can we expect to serve those outside the church? Second, in terms of holding our brothers and sisters in higher standard, I'm talking about sin. We oftentimes quick to call out the world for their sin, but ignore the sin that our brothers and sisters in Christ are committing. We want to worry about what the world is doing, but we're not worried about what's going on in our, our four walls. We want to call the world out for, for, for their, their view of sexuality and, and their views of, of homosexuality and all this, but we ignore the person in our church that, that perhaps is having premarital sex. Or, or, or the person in our church who isn't serving God, who isn't living in sin, but we'd rather call out the world than hold our own brothers and sisters to a higher standard in the world. If they are in the church, if they are calling themselves followers of Christ, then they know that what they're doing is wrong. We can't expect those who don't know Christ to know what they're doing is wrong. But we first and foremost must take care of our own people. If we go on in, in this verse... It says, God, cho- God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And we see that, that it doesn't matter about status. It doesn't matter about what, what one is wearing or how one looks. That God is the one who chooses who to save. We don't choose. That it doesn't matter 
any of that, that God is the one who's doing the work. And oftentimes we forget that. We forget that God is the one doing all the work, that God is the one saving people. That we can have the birth, the best speakers, the best worship, but if we don't have God, no one's being saved. That's why language and doctrine and theology is important. First and foremost, we realize that God is doing the work, so who are we to be partial towards people? We have no idea what God is doing in someone's life to tell them, no, you, you got to sit over there. And we see, this, this is how, how God has always worked. If we if looking at, at the, mountain, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, I'm reminded of this. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets and who were before you. And we see that, that God does not work the way that we think. That God flips things upside down. And the way that we think God is going to move, he's probably going to go the other way. That he saves even the poor. That, that God doesn't, it doesn't matter to God, the possessions that one may have. It doesn't matter to God what one may look or how old they may be. If God wants to save them, God will save them. And we have no, no say in that. And so we act accordingly. We don't forget that God is the one, that God blesses the poor, and he blesses those who need a blessing. Not us. That God is the one who moves. And this is important to know because we see the third point, showing favoritism or discriminating of any kind is sin. See this in verse 8. If you really fulfill the law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. We see, we see James here. He's talking about the royal, the royal law according to the scripture. Then he quotes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that the royal law, which means the highest law in terms, really in terms of dealing with people, is this idea of um, the greatest commandment, as Jesus sums it up in Matthew 22. When, when, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus sums it back by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on. On these two commandments depend all the law of the, and the prophets. And so we see that the, the highest law, the royal law, is that we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. 
And if that is the king of all, of all commandments, and the queen to that is that you love your neighbors as yourself. And as James says, if you show any partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And this is sometimes hard to accept that the fact that sometimes it's easy for us to just look at someone and make a judgment. It's easy for us to look at someone's situation and says, maybe you're not praying enough. Maybe that's what you deserve. And then we look at, at the rich man and say, they must be serving God the right way. Or why would God bless them with, with all that they have? And we see that that's not how it works. And so Jesus sums up what we see is that, that all the other commandments, all the Ten Commandments and all the other laws in the book of Leviticus can be summed up in, in this. That you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love people as yourself. And that's the greatest commandment, that all the other laws that we have in our Bible, all the other commandments are summed up in that. And they all fall under those two things. We honor God because we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind. We choose to, to, not, to not steal, to not, to not commit murder, or to not covet things that aren't ours because we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is sometimes... We struggle with this, and, and, and sometimes we, we become like the lawyer in Luke 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who asks Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes, and he gives this parable. I'm just going to turn to there. And he gives this great parable of, of the Great Samaritan about who is our neighbor. And he answers this question by, by really asking the Great Samaritan to, to, to answer it first. And he goes on. Jesus asked him, what is the written law and how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered this correctly. You do and you will live. And then and the Lord thinks he still has Jesus on the rope. So he asked him, well, who is my neighbor? This is where Jesus gets into the meat of the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by, now by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a, Lev, a Levite, Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up all his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? He replied, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus answered him, You go and do likewise. And so we see that our neighbors, people who are we supposed to be serving, is anyone in need. That it does not matter about their situation, does not matter at the end of the day who they are or what they believe. If someone is in need, we are to honor them, we are to show them, treat them as our neighbor, and love them as we love ourselves. This is what we, we, get, we, we get this taught to us from like first grade, the golden rule. Do unto others as you will have them do unto you. 
And so who is, the question isn't who is my neighbor. The question, the right question is how can I be a neighbor? How can I be a neighbor today to someone who is in need, to someone who is suffering? How can I show mercy today? Or how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus today? These are the right questions. Not who is my neighbor. Not looking for a way out to serve other people. But trying to see how we can serve whoever is in need. And if we show any partiality, if we look at someone and say, you know what? I don't think I want to help them. I don't think I want to serve them because of you fill in the blank. James says you, you are committing sin. And you are judging, you are showing partiality with evil intentions. You serve God by loving and serving those who are in need. By praying over people and being the very hands and feet and love of Christ on earth. And so when you show partiality, as we see... You're convicted, as it goes on, by both laws. Going back to James. Sorry. According to the law's greatest commandment, what Jesus says, and according to to Leviticus 19.15, you are committing sin when you showed any type of partiality. Leviticus 9.15 says, You shall not be partial to the poor or deferred to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And we see that, that, that any partiality, any type of discrimination is contrary to the character of God. That if we judge people, we, are, we, we don't judge people according to God's righteousness. We judge people according to our selfishness. And that is contrary to the character of who God is. We see here, it goes on. In verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been accountable for it, all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so we see is, is, is that you're either being judged according to Christ's righteousness or you're being judged according to the law of Moses, according to the Old Testament which no one can be found guilt-free of. What he's saying here is we cannot choose which laws we follow. You don't wake up one day and decide, I'm not going to follow the speed limit. Or you don't wake up one day and decide, you know what, I'm not going to pay for anything. I'm just going to go into stores and start taking what I want to take. I don't want to follow that law. That's not how it works. And so it doesn't... What James saying here, it doesn't matter if, if you keep one law, but, but then you break the other law. You are guilty of all the law, which is why we stand before God, not according to our own righteousness, not according to our own sake, but be according to the righteousness of Christ. That is how we're saved. That is how we're judged. That is how we stand before a holy and righteous God and, and, and found, be found blameless. Not because we deserved it, but because Christ did all the work. And so what we see is we, we answer to God, not our own moral beliefs. We don't just follow the laws that we like or we want. We do not get to decide what is right or wrong. 
I was having having a meeting the other week at work, and very much a young lady was of the belief that there is no truth in the world. And we, we were talking about in terms of, of, of sexual abuse and the history of that in a lot of our clients. And one man said, I, I, I can never work with someone who's committed some type of sexual abuse. And she's like, why are you judging him? You don't know if he thinks what he did is right. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is why we, we don't just believe and we don't hold right what we believe, that we refer to God and according to God, that we don't decide what is right or wrong, that God decides what is right or wrong. Because then we start to just try to make excuses and find reasons for all that we do, all the sin that we commit. We try to make it right. And we see that our God is a righteous God and that he decides what is right, not us. We don't decide which laws to follow. We follow God. The last point, God will judge us accordingly. Verse 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, we will be shown the same mercy that we show others. And, and what I'm not saying here is, is that we are, that our mercy earns us, that the mercy that we give people, that, that the grace that we give people earns us salvation. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, is that God chose people. He chooses people to, to save and that according to that, when we realize that, that God chooses us, that God is the one who does all the work and we don't have anything to offer him. Like it says in verse 5, God, listen, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? Or, or, or in chapter 118 that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Of his own will, he brought us forth. And what we see is that, that when we, we realize that the truth of what the scriptures teach is that before the foundations of the earth, God chose those who he was going to save. That despite anything they were going to do, despite the life they were going to live, God decided who he was going to bring to himself. And, and we look at that and, and we're amazed at that fact that, that I, a sinner who does not earn the grace that he has, God still saw fit to save me. This is what the, the scriptures teaches. Ephesians 1, 3-7 says, Blessed be the God of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We see that God chose us even before the foundations of the earth. Who, were, who was going to be holy? Who was going to be blameless before him? And realize that this is a work that God is doing. And, and we show mercy because we have been given mercy. We show grace to people because God has been gracious to us. Not that, that that earns us salvation, but that we're so transformed by the gospel. We're so transformed by the truth that God chose you before the foundations of the earth. And you become so overwhelmed with that. 
that you can't help but to show mercy and to show grace to people. That is why he says, in, James says in verse 12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. The truth is, is we as, as followers of Christ, we've been, we should be so transformed by the gospel, so transformed by the word of God, that we, are, that we show mercy to other people. That we love on other people, not because we do it under our own accord, but because we do it because God saved us. We sing, we see how God has been towards us, and we can't help but to share and love and show mercy on others. And so we're so transformed by this love, we're so transformed by the mercy. That, that we have been given, that we can't help but to show mercy. It's expected of us. It's where we're, we're um, in John 15, where we're, we're called to bear fruit. We're called to be the light and salt of the world. And the reason we're called to bear fruit is because we, we should be so transformed by the gospel, by the truth that we did nothing to earn the salvation that we've been given, that we can help but to express that to others. The grace and love of God should should transform us to the point where you now, as Alex says, delight in the law of God. I'll quote Alex from last week. Once Christ saves us, the law becomes a delight to us. And so we delight in the fact that we serve God and that we can follow these laws because, they, because of who God is. See, there's nothing distinct, there's nothing Christian per se about the Ten Commandments. Atheists out there go and live according. Atheists will say they believe that you should not murder. Atheists will say you shouldn't steal. So because we choose to follow the Ten Commandments doesn't make us necessarily a Christian. It's that God has asked us, that God calls us to do this, and we serve God, we choose to serve God by following these commandments. That's the distinction. That's what makes us different from the rest of the world, that we have been called by God, and because we want to serve God in such a way that we honor him, we choose to follow these commandments. We choose to live according to the law. Because of what God has done in our lives, not because we think that's the right thing to do. So I don't want to get too much into this, but we are called to bear fruit. And in, in John fifteen six, what happens to those who do not bear fruit? They get thrown into the fire. That as Christians, you should be bearing some type of fruit in your life. You should be sharing, showing mercy towards other people. You should be showing love towards other people. You should be asking, how can I be a neighbor? How can I be the hands and feet of Christ today? You know, when we have um, friends who we may work with or, or friends that we've known for a long time and they come to us and they say, you know what, I, I come to accept Jesus, can't, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior the other week. And oftentimes our response is, yeah, that's great, that's awesome. And so for the next several days, weeks, months, years, we kind of evaluate their life. We try to see if they're actually bearing any type of fruit. 
You know, if someone comes to you and says, oh, I, I'm a believer. I, be, I believe I accepted Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But yet nothing has changed in their life. They're still living in the world. They're still doing the same drugs. They're still, doing, they're still having sex outside of marriage. They're not a part of a church body. We start to question whether they were really saved or not. Because we, as followers, are called to bear fruit. As Jesus says in, in John fifteen six, if you do not bear fruit, you will be thrown into the fire. And so we are not saved because we show mercy towards other people. We show mercy because we are saved and adopted into the family of God. So as you go throughout the rest of this week, questions I would love for you to be asking yourself is how can I be a neighbor today? How can I share the love of Jesus Christ to people today? How can I show mercy towards people this week? And go about your week without showing any type of partiality towards anyone but loving people because God first loved you. God brought you forth, and you're so transformed by the gospel. You're so transformed by the fact that God chose you before the foundations of the world that you can't help but share in that love and show people that same mercy that has been given to you. That's how we are called to live. That is how we bear fruit. That is how we can be reassured that we are saved. Let's close out in prayer. Father God, we we come before you, Lord. We thank you that you are a sovereign, that you are a holy and righteous God, that you that that you saw fit to save a sinner like me, to save sinners like us, Father God. That is out of your love out of your mercy and your grace that you look on us and that you sent your son to die on our behalf Father God that it's not up to me it's not up to us it's up to you we thank you for that Lord we thank you that you are a God of mercy that you are a God of love and grace we ask that as we go out that we are able to be the hands and feet of Christ that we love on our family, we love on our church family, and we love on people, God. We ask that you keep us safe throughout the rest of this day, keep us safe throughout the rest of this week, and give us the strength and power to be the hands and feet. In your name we pray. Amen.